Support for Green Dreamer comes from our listener patrons, as well as our Green Dreamer planners that you can check out at greendreamer.com slash shop. To support this independent show and join our online community starting at just $2 per month, you can head to greendreamer.com slash support to learn more. When people are anonymous online, they say things that they would never say in public, Mm -hmm. but now we are becoming that anonymous way of being even in public. We are saying things in person that that we don't necessarily believe or we don't necessarily know the impact of. That was Christy Reddick, who, with her co-founder, Jessica Honecker, that you're also going to hear in this episode, started and are known as the Bug Chicks. They're entomologists who teach about arthropods and social-emotional learning using educational programs and videos that are positive, fun, and that promote girls as role models. Many of us have come to see bugs as icky or scary, but is there any evolutionary reasoning behind those inklings? And to take a step back, how have arthropods shaped our modern human civilization as we know it today? Those are just some questions we're going to explore here. So Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. All of my life, I grew up in a fairly rural area, and I didn't really pay much attention to to bugs. And then um, I took a class in undergrad. It was one of those classes where it was kind of the only thing left and I needed it in order to graduate. And so I went ahead and signed up for it. And it was an invertebrate zoology class. And the professor, Jim Joy, was amazing. He really kind of shifted my thinking from apathy to interest for these animals that didn't have backbones. And so I took a few more of his classes, one of them being an entomology class. And man, after that, I was just like, I was all about bugs and I went and worked in his lab and I changed my major. And then I went into uh, integrated pest management in grad school at Texas A&M. And I think for me, the, the realization that bugs play a much broader role and and a necessary role in in our lives as humans. And we don't really think about how intensely they affect us. That was really interesting to me. And so I focused on, for me, agro ecosystems and how bugs are both beneficial and detrimental to our our food supply. And Christy? For me, we have some parallel things, but I have a degree in theater and and grew up on stage and so didn't really have much contact with bugs. My mom would show me ladybugs and roly-polies and things, but I was actually kind of terrified of bugs, especially spiders growing up. But my secret dream when I was five on was to study animals in Africa. I was told in eighth grade that I did not have aptitude for science by my eighth grade science teacher. And she said, just stick to what you're good at. Stick to stick to dance and theater. You're so good at that. And so I stayed with that and really let a teacher kind of shape my world in a way that would have been different had I been allowed to kind of dive into animals the way that I wanted to. And at the time, I didn't know that that bugs, arthropods were animals. So fast forward to, you know, my senior year of college, and I'm feeling not very excited about 
theater anymore and wanting to explore the world. And I decided to go back to school. And the only class that was available at this new university where I went was either chemistry or entomology. And I had failed chemistry in high school. And I was like, ology means something about living creatures. So I guess I'll do that. Entomology was... And just like Jessica, I had this incredible professor, Dr. Tim Yoho, who kind of looked a little bit like a bug. Like he had these glasses that made him look like a praying mantis. And he was just the most enthusiastic, alive teacher. And he just shifted my world. And so in the next semester, I, I had gone for study abroad in Kenya because that was my goal. I was like, big mammals, Kenya. And I got to Kenya and, you know, the elephants and lions were amazing, but the bugs rocked my world. And that's where I discovered for myself what a camel spider was. And I I fell in love with this one kind of arachnid that you know, I honestly thought that I discovered it because I'd never <laughs> seen anything like it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to name it after myself. And um, and so I, I saw one and that was it for me. I decided I'm going to be back here in three years and I'm going to be studying these animals. And I was. So my, my graduate work and Jess and I met in graduate school. Um, my graduate work was studying camel spiders, um, solifuge arachnids that are these non-true spider arachnids that are found in desert ecosystems all over the world. That's what I did for my for my master's research. And then Jesse and I met in an insect photography class, like my first week of grad school. We had the same camera. We were from kind of geographically the same area, sort of Appalachia. Jesse's from West Virginia. I'm from Virginia. And we drove the same truck. I mean, there were just all these weird similarities between us. Including our professors who didn't want us to take that class. Right. <laughs> They were like, you got to do research. And we were like, ah. So uh, I already owned a production company teaching people about bugs and making bug videos. And I asked Jessica to join me in Kenya for my research. So she put her research on hold, much to her professor's <laughs> delight. And she came with me. And about two months into filming my work with camel spiders and also teaching kids, she was like, where do I sign up for this? Like, how do I do this with you? <laughs> I didn't know anything about business at the time. And I was like, come be my business partner. We'll just sign the papers. That was in 2007. And we've been working together ever since. So yeah. you've named yourselves the Bug Chicks in more colloquial language so that people can immediately understand what you're all about. But you know that after getting people's attention, you then introduce them to their proper name, which is arthropods. So please do educate us. What are usually the first things you tell people about arth arthropods? And what are some things you say that most people do not know or are, or are mistaken about them? Great question. We use the word bug because everybody uses it and everyone knows kind of what you're talking about. You're talking about an animal of some sort. An arthropod is any animal with six or more jointed legs and an exoskeleton. And bilateral symmetry. Right. So they look the same on the outside and the inside, right and left. Um, and I think one of the things that, that kind of shocks people about arthropods is that crustaceans are arthropods. Mm. We don't necessarily think of them, but everybody knows roly-polies, but roly-polies are crustaceans. They're tiny little land shrimp that live in our backyards. And I think another thing that really surprises people is when we, when we tell them that ladybugs are poisonous, people are like, what? Oh, <laughs> because it you know, ends childhoods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
like, they're always like, but we hold them. And it's like, but you don't eat them. Right. The sort of difference between poison and venom. So when we get into the different classes of arthropods and we start to distinguish between what makes an insect an insect and an arachnid an arachnid, and then centipedes and millipedes, you start to understand that the world is really run by this specific group of animals, phylum arthropoda. are um, They're the most numerous and diverse animals on the planet. And without them, our world doesn't function. So when we think of arthropods, the common and often instinctive perception is that they're icky, gross, or simply a nuisance. So where do you think this deeply ingrained perception came from? And is there any validity to these feelings? As in, is there anything evolutionary about people finding arthropods as aversive? I'm going to start with sort of answering the last part of your question first um, about the evolutionary aspect of it. We as humans have lived on this planet with arthropods um, for a very, very long time. And it's only recently and in some parts of the world where it's considered dirty and gross to be around them, to eat them, to handle them. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's part of, I think, everyone's culture. There's stories about them all over the world. And right. sometimes they play beneficial roles in mythology and folklore. And sometimes they play you know, trickster and detrimental roles. But um, I don't know that evolutionary, evolutionarily, it is that arthropods are something that we should be afraid of or, or not interested in being around. And I think it depends on the specific kind, right? So like a big fuzzy tarantula, maybe people are feeling something instinctive where they're like, Oh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. But because the, because arthropods cover such a wide swath and they're so diverse, I, I agree. I, I don't know that there's sort of one evolutionary trait of fear for these animals, but definitely I think the media plays mm -hmm. a big part in this and media is just modern storytelling. So, you know, for thousands of the years, like Jessica said, we've had all of these mythological stories about them all, in every different culture. Every culture has them. But lately, I would say in the last hundred years, the media around these animals is really detrimental to our view of them. We want to kill or eradicate anything that isn't like us. We think that if you have cockroaches in your house, it makes you dirty. It does not. Or if you have lice in your hair that you are yes. dirty. Lice are actually more attracted to clean hair than they are to dirty hair. There's those movies from the 40s and 50s where, where they made giant monsters. Like that, giant praying mantises right, or giant something like that. Things that are um, killing people yeah. and sort of Godzilla. And more recently, you have shows like Fear Factor Ugh. where it's like eat this roach alive. And there's no consideration that that is an animal with neurons yeah. and like pain receptors Nerve that you're, you know, chewing. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is a lack of empathy. There's a lack of understanding. Even the quote unquote nature shows, let's get into hot water with mm. this. The quote unquote nature shows all show dripping fangs and dramatic music. And it's all about like the 10 deadliest. And, and I think that it all depends on the tone with which we speak about these animals. So Jessica and I have a very strict, no fear mongering rule. We do not startle people. We do not scare people. And it makes us probably less popular on with our videos or, or with anything because people are attracted to that sensationalism, but we just don't want to do it. It's just not, 
it's not our vibe. We're all about promoting that different isn't bad. And we actually translate that for people into how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive other people. We mix a lot of social emotional learning for humans with the science of entomology. So perhaps because a lot of people today have become so disconnected from nature, we may not have such firsthand experiences with a lot of these arthropods. So we've been relying on the media and these fabricated stories to inform us of how we should feel about them. And a lot of that has been a misrepresentation of our arthropods. Definitely. Yes, without a doubt. Absolutely. I think the top misrepresented animals on the planet are arthropods. All sorts of things from tarantulas being deadly. No one's ever died of a tarantula bite to wasps being something that you need to eradicate. They're actually really helpful in your gardens. Mm -hmm. And we actually use a lot of biomimicry inspiration from arthropods for some of our coolest inventions that people love are based in biomimicry of arthropods. So wasps, for example, they can do facial recognition. There have been lots of studies that show that different kinds of hornets can recognize a family that lives in the house. If they've got their little wasp nest up, up in the eaves of like a front porch or something, they'll recognize who the family is from, from how they're coming in and out. And so we're using wasp to learn more about facial recognition software. Whether or not we think that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And there's also um, an architectural aspect to it as well. Um, termites, African termites, the ones that build the really big columns, are an inspiration for natural heating and cooling systems in buildings. There's a yeah. building in Harare specifically that was designed off of the, I guess, the ducts and the tunnels yeah. in the tower of the termite nests and, you know, and they don't really use any energy to heat or cool that building. Right. They invented natural air conditioning, yeah. which I think we could all probably use. <laughs> For sure. So Christy, you've lectured a course that explored how insects have shaped human history and culture. I think it may be difficult for people to immediately pinpoint how these tiny creatures have been able to influence our civilization. So what is most important for us to know about the relationship between insects and human society from our past? Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is one of my favorite subjects. Okay. <laughs> we can go back in time and talk about honey. Honey being, of course, a byproduct of bees. Bees make honey. We can talk about how honey was used as embalming fluid for mummies in ancient Egypt. We can talk about scarab beetles in ancient Egypt and how the ancient Egyptians believed that there was a scarab beetle god named Kepera. Kepera means he came forth or to come forth. And it's because when the scarab beetles bury the ball of dung that has the eggs laid in it underneath the ground... Those eggs hatch, the larvae of the scarab beetles eat the dung, and then they pupate underground and they come forth out of the ground as adult scarab beetles. And so they believed that this was a really magical and beautiful thing. And they made a god based on a scarab beetle. And they believed that a giant scarab beetle would roll the sun to rise and set across the sky each day. That's a culture I want to live in, where we're just so in awe of these creatures that we that we deify them in a, in a sort of and then if you think about our, our very modern way of commerce, I don't think 
most people in America at least get through the day without purchasing at least one thing. Well, commerce can be traced back. Our modern system of trade and commerce between and amongst countries can be traced back to silkworms. The Silk Road in China was the first really intricate system of trading valuable goods. And it was based on the value of silk that comes from these caterpillars it was such a highly regarded secret that's, you know, there's myths and lore about this where someone smuggled eggs out in a mulberry bush twig weaved into a Japanese princess's hair that got from China to Japan. It's responsible for the spread of Buddhism from China West. I mean, you want to talk about a caterpillar that grows into a little white moth that is pretty, pretty humble looking, not a big deal. Creating our modern system of commerce, I mean, that has shaped our culture almost more than anything. So there's there's hundreds of those examples. And how about if we were to examine our relationship with insects today? Do you think insects have had more influence on us than we've had on them? Do we now have more impact on their populations and their health? What does that picture look like in terms of how they've been influencing us versus how we've been influencing them? Well, I would say on the the influence side, I think that we have been more positively influenced by them. I mean, as I think Christy mentioned earlier, you know, they basically run this planet. If they were not here, the planetary systems wouldn't necessarily work quite as well with like the decomposition and nutrient recycling and things like that. Um, so I would say by that alone, they've got an incredibly positive impact on us. But I, I don't know that I would say the same for the reverse. I think that our our way of living is not compatible with theirs and i say that the way the way our lives are and the consumption that we have and the habits that we have we're just destroying these these animals and we're destroying their habitat and right. we're we're polluting it and we're making it where it's very difficult for them to live I think we've really, we've really affected the diversity of arthropods. Um, I think there are going to be a few arthropods because of their adaptability that are going to kind of ride it out with us as we mm-hmm. move forward. Definitely. But, but that's not, you know, that's not to say that we won't lose the majority of them. Cause I think that there's a, there was a study recently that came out where the natural areas in Germany have lost 75% of their population of right. arthropods right um Absolutely. in number and diversity and that's in a natural protected area exactly right? um and jessica and i have the opportunity to go to the amazon rainforest each year we just got back a couple days ago and we we were down there with some guys who've been going down for 30 40 50 years and they were telling us stories of what the rainforest used to be like bug wise 50 years ago and they said, you couldn't, you couldn't go anywhere. You just inundated with the most insane and beautiful creatures you've ever seen. And now it's hard to find them, even in pretty untouched Amazonian rainforest. Now, I will say 
there are some, we would be remiss if we didn't mention things like mosquitoes that are mm-hmm. vectors of diseases. The mosquitoes themselves Very are true. not the, the disease agents. They vector these diseases. And so things like malaria over the course of, you know, the past 500, 600 years mm-hmm. has, has decimated human populations. Yeah. Um, yellow fever. Yellow fever. So mm-hmm. there definitely are some downsides to some of the diseases that are vectored by by insects in particular. And so I, I just didn't want to be remiss. No, absolutely. You know, I mean, it it swings both ways, you Mm -hmm. know, but I think overall our impact on them is not necessarily one of conservation, right? You know, and really consideration. We have to really fight to get any, any arthropods on the endangered species list. There are a few and we've, we've been lucky to see a few of them, but, um, but it's a, it's a real fight. It's a struggle. I think it's really important to emphasize what you mentioned earlier in terms of how for the majority of our past, our insect populations have positively benefited our humanity. But I feel like our perception of insects, we largely fixate on the ways that they're harmful to us, like the diseases that they carry, um, the way that they, again, the media portrayal of them being scary or icky and et cetera. So I think we definitely need to really raise the awareness of how they've been so crucial to our existence on earth. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what we do as the bug chicks. I mean, that's, that's a big part of what we do is, is raising awareness about the, the positive attributes of these animals, the diversity, the, Mm -hmm. um, the incredible influence that they've had on our culture and our arts and also the ways that we use them in science to get inspiration for some really incredible inventions that humans like to take the credit for. But really, I like to say that bugs did it first. Like anything that anything cool that humans are kind of coming up with, <laughs> bugs basically did it first. So, yeah, that's what we do as the bug chicks is really is we try to amplify voiceless arthropods. We're like the, the mm-hmm. voiceless arthropods. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I really love your approach as well because it's lighthearted, it's funny, it's just, it's really engaging. I watch some of your videos and I highly recommend our listener to check it out. So thank you for this vital work that you're doing, just putting a different spin on our vital insects that we all need to learn more about. Um, and Jessica, I know a lot of your work centers around integrated pest management that can help farmers in the United States as well as in developing countries reduce their reliance on pesticides. Do we know what percentage of agriculture worldwide in the U.S. or in the developing countries you're working in currently rely on the use of pesticides? And what has been the most notable impacts it's had on our arthropod populations and their diversity? You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know that percentage right off the top of my head. But I know that, um, so Christy and I have worked um, in Guatemala with the Norman Borlaug Institute of International Agriculture with some of their integrated pest management programs. Some of the, you know, the reason that we that we did that was to help move farmers away from using so much pesticide because, you know, it's like a lot of the chemicals that we either can't or don't use here in the States that's produced is shipped outside of the U.S. They're often misused sometimes because the people who are using them don't necessarily, maybe they're not able to read English And the instructions, yeah, the instructions are in English. And so functioning under the old adage of more is better, Mm. they will often douse their, their crops with these plants where, you know, that's, that's not its intended use. So 
that can be sticky. And also in terms of how it has affected the arthropod population, pesticides are indiscriminate. They'll kill the beneficial insects and the, the beneficial insects are there. They eat the pest insects. So like my studies were focused on aphids and in the um, sections that were sprayed with pesticides, you don't see things really like spiders or praying mantises or um, lace swings or ladybugs. Those are the things that help keep pest populations under control. The more you have of those, the more um, robust health you have in an agro ecosystem because they help control those pest insects. And so if you're spraying pesticides on there, it's not just the pest insects you're killing. It's all of the other ones that are doing kind of like natural pest control for you also. And because insects are such an important part of the larger food chain, mm-hmm. um, when you're, when you, when you use a pesticide that is indiscriminate in nature and you're losing both pest and beneficial insects, then you don't draw as many birds or, or bats or, or, bats or mm-hmm. anything, you know, like you don't draw the things that, that are also helping to create a healthy agro ecosystem. Right. Because if we have all of these monocultures with, with no, diversity of any of the animal life we're we're really robbing the ecosystem of of what it does best which is yeah self-regulating and self-balancing and if it and there is also um something called pesticide resistance and so some of these pest insects that reproduce really rapidly if you don't kill all of them with the pesticide then they can adapt to not be bothered by that pesticide at all, kind of like um, antibiotic resistance in bacteria for humans, right? And then that can create a bigger problem because then, you know, it's even harder to control these pest insects. Right. And I say that with the caveat that sometimes you need chemicals, but chemicals should be a last resort and not the first made, first mode of attack. Right. They should be part of a larger mm-hmm. um, program, which is what integrated pest yeah. management is. They should be, they should be a piece of the pie not not, not the, whole the whole pie. pie. So, Christy, you've said in a past interview that you don't know of an insect-friendly diet that doesn't betray science. Can you expand upon what you meant by that? And if the goal of living in an insect-friendly way isn't entirely possible, what should our collective goal be to be able to exist in harmony with our arthropods? I think someone I think someone was trying to ask me like should we eat organic to save the insects should we you know is vegan better is you know things like that so basically it's really difficult because even if you're going to eat organic food that doesn't mean that there aren't organic pesticides right so so people have this concept of organic food that that nothing is done to the food and so the insects aren't managed at all, which is just not true. There are, there are organic pest control techniques and organic pesticides. So I think that's what I was talking about. Like, yes, if you eat organic, that might be more insect friendly than if you don't eat organic, but it's not, it's not fail safe. It's not foolproof. And so that's what I was thinking. Like there's no really super insect friendly diet that is sort of foolproof. So I think that's what I was talking about with that. So if we wanted to support healthy insect populations in our urban lifestyles, what sorts of changes do we need to make as an individual? Put down the raid. (laughs) Four words. And and raid's going to come after us, but I don't Mm -hmm. care. Um, Here's the deal. Jessica was talking about 
how pesticides can be indiscriminate. And I'm going to talk more broadly about how when's the last time someone who sprays raid like crazy read the bottle? There are ways to use these things and we are not using them in the way that they are meant to be used, right? People think more is better. And also people are spraying these things in their homes and on surfaces where people are eating or people are breathing. If you can breathe it, it's going into you. And so I think, and, I, and also you're spraying the roach that you see, but there's roaches that you don't see. And I think <laughs> that's the thing is that, you know, we have this idea that if you have roaches in your house, that you are dirty. Full disclosure, we used to live in Texas. I had roaches all over my house. That's I, just how it was. That's just, that's just how it goes. You know, these um, these animals are they're domestic or peri-domestic pests, which means they're pests to us. Like we think of them as pests just because they're near us. But, you know, they are eating the things that we leave behind or, or, you know, walking around and, and eating little crumbs of things. And while some people do have an allergy to things like roaches, some people can have sort of a, an allergy to either the oil, like a contact or, dermatitis. Exactly. Or We're never going to be able to really get rid of them. And so I think put down the raid and also in urban environments, you can, can do- still go bug hunting. Well, and to, and to conserve things too, you can also like put some plants on your porch. Yes. Put some pollinator plants on your, on your porch. If you have a little porch, um, get invested in a local pollinator garden, go visit your local arboretum or your, mm-hmm. or your local. Even an extension office. Yeah. If, you live in a, if you live in a place that has extension offices around town. I think. I think if we start to put our small eyes on, you'll start to see the incredible diversity, even in urban environments of mm-hmm. bugs. The next time a fly lands on you, instead of swatting at it or killing it, stop for a second and watch what it's doing. Often they will land on you and they will clean their little legs. They'll clean their little eyes. They're using their little labellum. They're kind of like searching around. They're not going to hurt you. It's such an interesting thing when, when we teach people they can't stop looking for bugs and they are marveling at just the sheer diversity around them. We were just for a week with kids from all over the United States. We brought teenagers down to the Amazon rainforest with Jason learning. And it's these kids who apply to go on this program, kids and teachers. You would be amazed. The last night we saw something, I don't know, people were looking at a bird or something. And one of the teenagers who earlier in the week was super freaked out was like, Oh, look at this beautiful spider. Oh, look how beautiful it is. It's like on this silken thread. Look at this. And she's calling all of her friends over to see this spider. It's amazing what can happen when you shift the way you see these animals. You shift how you perceive them. It's all about perception. So I think even in urban environments, we can shift our perceptions of what's actually going on with arthropods. More recently, you developed a social-emotional learning curriculum called Different. As you notice that students across the country are stressed, disconnected, and feel alone, uh, I'd love to start there. So what do we know about the mental health trends for our youth today that made you want to focus on this? And what do you think has been driving these trends? Social emotional learning is sort of the new STEM in education. And that's because the, there is something that has been seen in in young people over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years, especially as social media has gotten bigger and bigger, anxiety 
in students is on the rise. Mm -hmm. Classroom disruptions are on the rise. Uh, Students, quote unquote, acting out, which is really a student asking for help, right? When we have a classroom disruption, when we have a student who is unfocused, when we have a student whose grades maybe have taken a dive in the last year, we need to ask ourselves, like, what's going on at home? What's going on for the student? And how are students interacting with each other in positive ways? Because social media, sometimes it's positive, but for the most part, it can have a really deleterious effect on students and how they see themselves because of comparison. And it's constantly, I don't look like that, or my life isn't like that, so I must not be good enough. And so people will often try to emulate that, and it's not necessarily their values. It's not necessarily how they would like to move through the world, but that's the way that is accepted that they move through the world. And as bullying becomes, you know, we all know that with anonymity becomes, um, how am I going to say this? When people are anonymous online, they say things that they would never say in public, Mm -hmm. but now we are becoming that anonymous way of being even in public. We are saying things in person that that we don't necessarily believe or we don't necessarily know the impact Mm -hmm. of. And our screens, whether it's our computers or or our phones or whatever, gives us like a couple degrees of separation Mm. from from reality, right? Kind of, you know? And so it's like, you see something through a screen and it's like, you're removed, you're, you're removed from it. And so if someone is filming a bullying incident, the person filming it is not going to feel responsible because it's almost like they're watching a movie. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so this is where we decided, and we've been doing this social emotional work with bugs since, since I started this, I, from the very beginning, I was like, oh, I think I can use bugs to talk about prejudice. I think I can use bugs to talk about how different isn't bad. And it has now grown into this SEL curriculum that we just launched called different. Um, it's a social emotional learning curriculum using arthropods. And what we do is When you walk into a classroom and you're like, today we're going to talk about social issues or how we deal with our peers, (laughs) teenagers are going to be like, oh my God, I can't do (laughs) It's so uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, it feels very confronting and you feel like you're on the spot and it feels real gross. So what we've done is we've taken that concept of being removed and being sort of secondary and we're using that to our advantage. So we've seen this for years in the way that we teach where we can look at an arthropod and go, hey, this is different and you thought it was bad and let's talk about what it really is and if we're afraid of something, let's learn about it. We can turn fear to fascination. And now let's take that different perception. How can we change our perceptions of ourselves, others, and the natural world? So this is what we're doing with this new curriculum. It is astounding what what we've been able to put together and pull together to help teachers in their classrooms have difficult conversations about social dynamics for teens. For example, We'll give you one of our one of our great examples. We teach we it's 10 video lessons where we teach about the arthropods and then we lead teachers to ask questions for the students, self-reflection questions and then a group discussion and then a group project for students where they're able to affect change on their local communities. So. We teach about camouflage, crypsis, where an arthropod like a walking stick or a praying mantis is blending into its environment. 
or where animals like caterpillars that are brightly colored and striped will blend into each other to look like one larger organism where they're not trying to blend into their environment. But you can't tell where one begin and one ends. It's called mm-hmm. disruptive coloration, right? And so we, we talk about blending in and, and the attributes of that and the benefits. And then we turn it around to the students and we say, have you ever blended in so much that you felt like you disappeared? Have you ever blended into a group and the group does something that you do not agree with? Do you feel agency to speak up or are you going to blow your cover in this group? Because just like what Jessica was saying, where kids are filming a bullying incident or kids are filming something as damaging as maybe a sexual assault at a party where a student gets drunk and then other students do something to that student. We hear it in the news all the time. And so This is a way where we can talk about those things through the lens of arthropods and get students talking about whether it's names that they use for each other. We talk about death feigning beetles, which are also called blueberry beetles. They fake their own death when they get afraid. And so just the words that we use around creatures, we can talk about the words that we use about ourselves and others. We've got 10 of these concepts. And actually, we would love to offer your listeners a coupon code if you're interested. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, all of this sounds super powerful that I feel like adults can benefit from learning from your curriculum as well, because I think a lot of adults struggle with the same things that we just talked about. Yes, absolutely. We actually have teachers who are using it for their teacher training. We have teacher, we had, we taught it um, at the National Science Teachers Association just recently. We had, a, we had a teacher come in. She's from a Title I school, pretty rough neighborhood. She said, look, I grew up in this neighborhood and I'm teaching in this school, but sometimes you get teachers from outside this community teaching in the school and I can tell that they treat the students differently than they would treat other students. And I'm going to use this to train my teachers on bias and prejudice and um, preconceived notions um, Ooh, that gives me I know. I just, <laughs> me. Um, and then we just had another teacher purchase it because she's going to use it. She teaches students with neurological differences that maybe can't be seen from the outside. Like you look at someone and you wouldn't necessarily know that they have a difference in ability or, or they're differently abled, right? So she's using it with her students who have neurological differences. We think that this is something that can be used for teachers, for different kinds of schools, for students, and also for, I think, corporations. Oh, team building and for how we work together as human beings. Basically, if you're a human and you deal with other humans. (laughs) So we would love to offer your listeners, we're going to do the code BUGDREAMER, all one word, BUGDREAMER, do it uppercase. I think that's how it works. Bug Dreamer on our website and it's thebugchicks.com and you'll find our new curriculum. It's called Different. It's 10% off. Yeah, 10% off uh, of our new curriculum. Thank you so much for this. I'll make sure to include all these details in our show notes as well in case our listeners on the go, they can reference our show notes. And just out of curiosity, what are some of the most profound things you guys have learned from arthropods for your own lives? Oh, gosh. Bravery is is a huge one. I think for bugs, for me, I'm going to cry. For bugs, <laughs> for me, it's you hear all the time that you're capable of anything. You know, adults always like to tell you you're capable of anything. But until you feel that you are capable of anything, you don't really know what that means. And so for us working with kids and for us working with ourselves, mm-hmm. 
I always have to tell myself today I will be brave. And that's something that we tell the kids before they hold bugs. Um, and we tell teachers too, because teachers are often the most scared <laughs> in the room. Sometimes I have to remind myself of mm-hmm. what we teach kids mm-hmm. about bugs. Mm-hmm. Today I will be brave. I, I need to feel capable because as small business owners and as people are trying to just exist in the world and I struggle with comparison on social media myself, bugs have helped me feel more capable in my life. They make me feel capable of anything, learning about bugs and teaching about bugs. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. That's good, what girl. about you, Jessica? <laughs> um, I think for me, I mean, yes, I, I second everything that you said. I think for me, they teach me humility because mm. it's like comparatively to us, right? They're so small, mm. but they sort of like go about their days and they it's like the whole do no harm and like they do, they're good for the environment and they play such a huge role mm. in our lives. And I, and that's kind of like sort of what got me into it. Right. right. Um, it's like, they're so small, but they can affect such great change, positive or negative. Right. But somehow it seems mostly to be positive except for things like malaria, but that's not their fault. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I think humility. Humility is lovely. You're listening to Green Dreamer with Kamea Shane, and we're now going into a mindful musical intermission before closing off with our final five. Don't wait any longer Cause the night is drawing in And the sun's getting stronger While the ice is wearing thin Come out of the shadows So your voice can be received Don't stand on the sidelines Come fight for the air that you breathe Cause we all have the power to change Yeah, we all have the power What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? Naturalist by E.O. Wilson. Hmm. For me, The Alchemist. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? You can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Jessica. (laughs) My mother used to sing a song, um, I can do it, I'm a redic. And it's so silly that I just said that, but that's my last name. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I think you should sing it again. I can do it, I'm a redic. Come time. (laughs) I literally will sing that. But but it, I think today I will be brave is the thing that it's like my little mantra. Today I will be brave. And sometimes it's about something as stupid as sending an email. But you're like scared to send an email to someone important. You're like, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Very relatable for sure. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? I'm trying to eat less meat mm. and to eventually eliminate it. For me, I am trying to drink more water and recognize the incredible privilege of having access to clean water. Mm. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? Well, right now, since we just launched the social emotional learning curriculum, we're trying to figure out how to market and sell it. And we want to do more work. (gasps) Can I say something? Oh, can I say something? I'm going to say it. (laughs) 
I've had a little dream for the last couple of years, and I like to state a dream out loud because you never know who's listening. And especially with a podcast like this, you never know. I want to train teachers in refugee camps to use the insects that they find naturally in the camps as teaching resources. Because if you give me a bug and a kid, I can teach about anything. And that is a trainable, teachable, and learnable skill. So I want to train teachers in refugee camps. And I think that can fit in really well because if you teach people about these animals and then people conserve what they care about. So I think that all around it's good for people. It's good for the environment. Mm -hmm. It's good for the arthropods. And yes. (laughs) And finally, what makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? As much as I say bugs did it first, I have to say human adaptability, human ingenuity, and human human creativity makes Mm. me feel positive. I feel like as humans, we kind of wait to the last minute. We're the ultimate procrastinators. And I (laughs) wish that we had a little bit more forethought in how we did things. But I think I'm inspired by science. I'm inspired by the process of science. And I'm inspired by the people who who do science and, and use science to better our world. And I would say another thing that makes me super hopeful is awareness of our impact on this world. And also like that, oh, okay, well now it's time to like figure out a way to fix it. Yeah. Buckle down. Yeah. To our listener, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Christy and Jessica's work, you can head to www.thebugchicks.com. And you can also follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thebugchicks. All this will be linked in our show notes as well that you can find at greendreamer.com. Christy and Jess, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if our listener wants to get involved with what you're doing and support your work, how would you recommend they go about doing that? please contact us. We have a great contact form on our website. It comes right to us and we would love to hear how you'd like to get involved. We're open to some partnerships. We're open to lots of partnerships with individuals and larger larger organizations. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Put your small eyes on. The world is incredible. If you are afraid of something, learn about it and turn your fear to fascination. Find your inner bug dork. Yeah, we are.